Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So I'll tell you what we're going to do, Josh Brown. This might be, I mean, it's clearly not a world first, but I like to think of it as a world first because Mass Effect pretty much predated podcasts. So the idea of us going back to the old Mass Effect, the old BioWare's classic from 2007, I literally Googled when did podcasts become popular because that <laughs> I just needed to know. And uh, according to, you know, War Google, they reckon it was from 2004 onwards, the, the dawn of the iPod, the dawn of uh, Ricky Gervais's podcast kicking off. It was all those sorts of things that popularized it. But I don't remember any Mass Effect podcasts over the years. So I think it's about time someone did one. Also, uh, this is the Justice League. I'm Scott Tilford, joined by Josh Brown. Hi, yeah. How are you doing? I'm having a I'm good time. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Mass Effect. I mean, we've we tried playing other things. We've got access to uh, other games that are coming out very soon. There'll be some things on the channel. Might even be by the time you listen to this. Um, a certain game that we've been playing for the last sort of, I don't know, week, couple weeks. Yeah, ish, it's a thing. Um, can't say fully, but it'll be there. Um, but just wanted to play Mass Effect. Just I've just something else has just landed in my inbox, which is amazing that I've got access to it. But I don't want to play it, Josh Brown. I just want to play. <laughs> Mass Effect left, right, and center. Um, so yeah, point being that we would do a full story-based discussion on the original Mass Effect um, because I haven't seen that many of them. And I thought that it's high time that we got to dive into the spoilers because we didn't do that uh, last week. We just talked about how brilliant returning to Mass Effect was in the Legendary Edition. But going forward, this will be a big old spoiler podcast. So um, we both hit credits on it. I think both of our runtimes were about 25-ish hours. Yeah, um, just try about. Try to see as, as much as possible. Um, what was your immediate thoughts as you hit credits? Oh man, well, I, t- I told you last week that going into this remaster, I kind of wondered if I was just going to dip my toes into it, get a little <laughs> nostalgia hit. And then by the time I was halfway through Mass Effect 1, I was just like, this is the best thing ever. And I want to do every single thing. And yeah, for me, the back half of Mass Effect 1 has always just been incredible. Like the run from Vermeer into Elos into back to the Citadel, mm. taking on Saren, taking on Sovereign. Like that stuff is so epic and it holds up so well. So when I hit credits, I was originally going to take a break i might have even told you about this i was going to right. take a break between mass effect one and mass effect two to play something else but i can say right now that i have not done that because i was like <laughs> i need to just jump straight and i need to well, continue this and see where this goes even though obviously i've seen where this goes mass effect 2 is one of my favorite <laughs> games of all time <laughs> that was my, my thoughts exactly because i bought terminator resistance and uh, mainly just because i have a disease and i must know what things are so i was like <laughs> i need to play terminator resistance it's still sitting in the cellophane josh brown i've not even opened it Love up that. 
But um, that was my plan. I thought I'll take a nice little entree of Terminator in between. And uh, and I just never got there because Mass Effect 2 is right there on the main menu. And, um, you know, you can just hop out straight into the next one. Everything carries over to a ludicrous degree, um, which I know has always been in place since 2007. You know, obviously Mass Effect 1 going into 2010's Mass Effect 2. But I didn't realize if you make a point of doing, let's say, 100% completion of the first one, um, which we both did, try to do every single side mission and everything, all those things carry over to Mass Effect 2. Um, and we're going to stick to a Mass Effect 1 podcast. But just to quickly say that I thought it was brilliant that just remembering how much detail Bioware put into um, the beginning of Mass Effect 2, where radio reports are referencing little-known side missions or something that you can say to a character at the very beginning is from an option that you had halfway through Mass Effect 1. I think having them available side-by-side side really makes you appreciate just how insanely knitted together all these games are. Um, and I hope I'm still saying that when I get to the end of 3 this time. But yeah. um, still, like that thing was what hit me, hit me upside the head. But yeah, in terms of... Um, Finishing the first one, um, that whole run, like you said, that sort of the way that it all comes together, the whole thing about the Reapers, you get to find out from that VI that you find on Ilos. Um, have you had any, have you reconsidered any of the wider thoughts on the trilogy? I know you're a big fan of, I think you're a fan of Mass Effect 3's ending anyway, but like uh, how much they do seed where it's going right at the beginning. Like I yeah, kind of totally. think back and I'm like, we didn't really have that much to complain about really. Like, yeah, there's, there's ex the different colored endings and everything is ridiculous, but like, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's what I'm kind of appreciating this time um, around because when Mass Effect 3 came out, I got very caught up in what could have been obviously like the writers shifted ideas mm. were dropped. There's a big thing about, I think it's like dark energy in um, Mass Effect 2 that was yep. supposed to play a part in Mass Effect 3 and I was kind of a bit annoyed that we didn't get that followed on and I was like well he just pulled this out of the ass it's come out of nowhere but if you <laughs> do go back and play Mass Effect 1 like we're all doing now mm -hmm. that idea not to spoil Mass Effect 3 but Mass Effect 3 is, is very much about you know AI and you know the difference between organic life forms machine life forms and the dangers of that mm -hmm. and a lot of that stuff is seeded in this um first game like you're saying you know there are so many missions about you know the issues that occur when you let ai kind of you know run wildly there's mm -hmm. all of these sanctions there's all of these laws kind of outlawing it and stuff and you know a big thing that i've enjoyed you know just diving deep into mass effect one was rediscovering all of the stuff about the Reapers, but also about like the Protheans. Like, there's way more of that stuff in the first game than I remembered, especially like you said, when you get to have that conversation with the VI on ILOS, which is still one of my favorite moments in like video games ever, Same. when you're getting all this backstory. And it's so fascinating and it feels so epic and so big and like mythological almost. You know, it's right. like this giant myth, this giant legend that you're playing through because it's happening again in the cycle. Mm -hmm. I just thought like that hit, we, we, you know, we, we keep talking to each other about things that hit more than ever even though we played these games so many different times mm -hmm. and i don't know whether it's just because we're a little bit older now whether we've got a bit more patience whether we're looking at things a little bit more critically but those moments of seeding the story to come and again establishing on this world establishing on this threat establishing not just the world you're in but what happened fifty thousand years ago mm -hmm. it's just a joy i could have talked about vi all day i could have talked to sovereign <laughs> all day just like get a pint down the pub knock them well, back talk about the reapers come on one <laughs> how we lads let's talk about the reapers. one thing that um that's the thing though like you said we're maybe we're a little bit older we're a little bit more mature we're, we're approaching it from a different point in time and um, there's a great quote that i'm gonna butcher because i don't know it by off like word for word but it's by Genovachen, the um like sort of lead creative director on the likes of journey 
um, and the new game Sky, and um, the other one that he did that I'm blanking on, uh, Flower, um, mm -hmm. where he said that, you know, truly mature art ages with you. Like, you know, you might change, but if something has been written to stand the test of time um, or has mature themes, has a core to it that has a generally or a genuinely worthwhile sensibility, it'll age with you. You'll get more out of it over time because it was always there in the first place. You just couldn't see what was inside it. Um, and I love that because, like, going back to Mass Effect, you know, obviously you pick up on, like, for me as, like, a, a person who's in a completely different, I mean, it's, it's been 14 years since Mass yeah. Effect 1. Um, you know, and you're picking up on way more of the socio-political stuff, the different racial side of things, the, the wider, like you said, mythological side of things. Um, and I'm just taking it in more in a way that isn't teenage me trying to hunt and have the sexy time with Ashley Williams. Like it's got to be, you know, it's got to be, there's way more to it this time. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that it does age with you. I think that it has so much to offer in 2021. Like, I, I mean, we've, it, I've just, I've loved going through it in a way that I never did before, but I think it's because I didn't have the education back then. I didn't have the wherewithal i don't know what it is but i just i'm appreciating it in a way that i never did before where i'm just like oh my god you guys pulled this off like it's a miracle to the point where i think back on it and i'm like with well, the 2000s just this golden age that we didn't even realize <laughs> in. like i was watching making our videos of halo and i was just like how did this get made like these days yeah. it would just be like oh you took too long on that and you scrap that and that's no the fans don't want this and whatever um but yeah one other thing um <clears throat> to bring it all back around to things that are happening at the end of the first game is that whichever character you've romanced um, throughout it, like there's that payoff of like them sort of coming to you. And I, I had a, a thing where, like, obviously, like I said, I was always the person who was hunting Ashley Williams in the original game. I say hunting because it was very much a <laughs> teenage mentality of like, which which um, dialogue thing do I push to uh, unlock the, the boobs somewhere? Yeah. Having an actual relationship with Liara this time and the game recognizing that and sort of letting her, you know, come through and obviously you do the sexy and stuff, but I mean that she comes in and, like, you know, talks to you when you get rejected by the council towards the end. And um, that felt like a genuine actual relationship where I was like, yeah, really good. this is a payoff. And it fueled me into the big finale and everything. Um, you, though, went down the old Caden route. Well, ooh, well, I did and I didn't because this time around, I was just trying it on with everyone. Originally, <laughs> back in the day, even though I played it like 10 times, I would always, uh, well, I, I romanced Liara a few times, but I was mostly right. romancing um, Ashley because I was Fox News' worst nightmare and was just pressing the buttons to try and get to the, the titty Josh, scenes. Fox but... News' worst nightmare, Brown. Uh, that's your <laughs> new nickname. That might be the name of this podcast. Fox, Fox we'll News' worst that. nightmare. Anyway... Um, uh, yeah, because obviously there was that huge outcry that they were pushing about, oh, it's a sex it's simulator a sex game, you can't play that. And while obviously that wasn't true, part of that maybe was true, because that's how I played <laughs> it. But this time around, mm. getting to know everyone on a way that wasn't just this physical lustiness uh, was really great. Like, I had not paid any attention to Caden before this. I've said many times in videos on Chatty Faces, whatever, yep. that I think the dude is incredibly incredibly boring. I think he's like the world's most boring man, a priest, a piece of, you know, unbuttered bread. He's just, you know, <laughs> that basic. Um, however, this time around, playing as Femshep and getting into like this romantic angle with him and learning about his time as you know the l2 biotics mm. and him killing his um instructor the turian instructor having feelings for this girl and then we're kind of like bonding together because he was originally in our team and i thought that like romance was genuinely well played like i didn't end up um shagging kitten because um <laughs> i didn't even get the choice i just spent more time with liara liara came uh... in at the end but I still really enjoyed the time that I spent with him and like flirting with him. Mm -hmm. But just that bond felt right in a way right. that I've just never experienced before. Because I'd mostly play um, male shepherd mm -hmm. and you can't do that romance in the first game. So I never got that element. But this time around, I was like, this is cool. Mm -hmm. You're a good character. And ultimately, 
when push came to shove, I didn't kill him for the first time ever. <laughs> I actually killed Ash instead. Oh, and interesting. I've kept him around. It's wonder... weird. Like, I didn't have this on my bingo card coming into right. 2021, Scott. I didn't expect to, like, turn around entirely on Caden. The Caden reappreciation society. I mean, that's the thing. It. We're not going to talk about We We'll see how we go. Because last week we did this. We did the whole chat about Mass Effect 1 and how brilliant it is. And obviously we're doing the spoiler cast for Mass Effect 1. We have both started 2. So if we get all the way through 2, I mean, I don't want to make it like, you know, weeks and weeks of Mass Effect content. But I like the idea yeah. of sort of checking in. Because I am curious now how Mass Effect 3 goes if you don't have Ashley. Because she's like a main character in 3. Um, or she can be. And I don't, like I said, it's almost like this weird gray cloud of just nothingness because I don't feel like any of the populace chose uh, Caden back then because Caden was like the, everyone just hated him back then for like no reason, even though, like he said, he's got a, a big depth to him. Um, but yeah, that's the thing. I mentioned this last week of just talking to the characters more than ever, uh, realizing that Garrus and Rex have like, you know, loyalty missions, like sort of predating Mass Effect 2's more game feature style loyalty missions. Um, and like, you know, finding out way more about them than I ever did before. Um, what order did you do the planets and stuff in? Because I remember you, you texting me, um, say, because I, I, I forget, I, get, I, I got Rex like early. I realized that you can miss Rex at one point as well. Yeah. Um, which is kind of insane that like you could just miss like a main character. Um, but yeah, what order did you do the planets in? Because I was lost in side missions for 20 hours. Yeah, to be fair, I did loads of side missions. But when it comes to like the main ones, I went to get Liara first, mm -hmm. which I don't, or I never used to do that all the time. I used to kind of Ooh. like wait until the end for her. And mm -hmm. um, because if you actually yeah, go later on, no, yeah, because if you, if you right, this, because this blew my mind back in the day, it won't now because it's just part of the course when it comes to RPGs. Right. But back in the day, if you got Liara towards like the end, if you do it just before Vermeer, for instance, mm -hmm. like when you catch up to her, she's actually a bit kind of mentally scrambled she, gets, like, she like, annoyed, doesn't really yeah. know where she is she's oh. a bit weird and being in stasis for that long kind of like messes her up i thought that was <laughs> always so like cool <laughs> yeah, she's, she's just hanging around but i thought that was such a cool idea that like, that could happen oh. i used to leave it till the end this time obviously i wanted her in my party i wanted to have these conversations so i went to get her first then i went off to um Novaria, i think it's called to mm -hmm. take down the rachni and take down um uh, oh, what's it, what's it called? The Benezia, yes. Yeah. And that was cool, having Liara in the party for that. And then I went to Ferros to take down the the big mind-controlling thing, so, forgotten all of these names. So hold and on, then, so had you, had you done the Benezia fight without Liara beforehand? Yes, yeah. Interesting. Just didn't oh, do man. that. I know, it's a big thing. Like, yeah. there are so many parts of this game that I just forgot I didn't do, probably as was quote-unquote intended, and I had this kind of weird experience. And maybe that's why... Back in the day when I played Mass Effect 1, even though I loved Liara come Mass Effect 2 and especially mm. Mass Effect 3, mm. like in 1, I didn't have much connection to it. And I wonder whether it's because I missed having her on the ship for that long or missed having oh. that scene where she, you know, watches her mother die. Like that yeah. was so a big part of her character. I was like, that's awesome. So yeah, I did I did that. Then I went to Vermeer and then just did the end game. That thing with Liara, I need to drill down on for a sec because uh, one of the reasons I love the first one so much, character-wise, is that, like, because I, I guess I didn't realize that you could miss her at the beginning, but she was the first person that I recruited, and because she is, like, your window into the Protheans, like, she's talking to Shepard about, um, you know, like, the fact that it's all of her research has been based on them, she can't believe that you survived the interaction with the Beacon, um, and all those conversations that come from that. I don't even know, what were your, did you have those roundtable discussion cutscenes, which was she just not present? Like, because she's, uh, yeah, she's kind of leading them. 
Yeah, I can't remember exactly how it went because it has been a while. But um, yeah, she's I think she's just either not there and then she shows up, she does the mind melding thing and mm-hmm. then you just sort of go from there. I think they just have like slightly different interactions with each uh-huh. other. I think you still get them because you still have to talk to the council. Maybe you don't. It has been that long that I can't say it for certain. <laughs> but yeah, you certainly don't get that time with Liara as you, like, like you do if you go straight for her. I, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, because once you, for me, it's like, like, like I said, she was the first um, companion that I picked up, and then you get to know her, and she's all like, like, kind of like, you know, for like, I was gonna say, like, like fresh eyed to the universe and everything. She's quite young as far as an Asari age goes or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And she's experiencing everything for the first time. And I love that she kind of matches you as like, you're humans new to the, the galactic citadel or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and you're trying to like make a name for humanity. And then she's also kind of exploring the galaxy together. And for me, that's what bonded is in a way that the Ashley stuff just didn't come anywhere near where I was like, oh, Liara is the true number one. I get what everyone's been saying for the last like yeah. decade and a half. Um, and all that stuff sort of came together. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, the fact that it can dovetail that much um, feels insane. Because have you, have you been going through it thinking like, oh, there's stuff that I already want to go back and try differently? Um, kind of, not so much, but mm. not so much in the first one. Because like I said, that's when I've played the most. And even though mm. I stuck roughly to the same track every time, I feel like I've either <laughs> seen other people play it a certain way or I've mm. like looked into it or either done it myself. And I feel like I've seen every permutation of Mass Effect 1 in particular, whereas I haven't Renegade run. 3. Yeah, all the Renegade, Renegade stuff's interesting. I want to know your opinion on this mm. because when I was younger... It, it's funny because like obviously i was playing mass effect one when i was like that came out 14 years ago i was like 12 i was like 12 <laughs> years old playing mass <laughs> effect one trying to get the sexy Horrible, scene that. with Horrible. ashley williams um so obviously i had a much more um binary view of the world in mm. terms of good and evil and therefore i saw shepherd in those same terms so i saw renegade and paragon as these kind of opposing sides which they are but i saw the moral choices that you get thrown in a more basic way so i never really you know experimented between renegade and paragon i would just stick Mm. with paragon i'd be a goody two shoes i wouldn't want to piss anyone off i just want to be very nice Mm -hmm. and quite reflective of who i was as a person back then just really scared of (laughs) whereas now he's flipping the middle digits left right and center you can't can't (laughs) whereas now um i'm fox news's biggest worst nightmare so there we go Uh, (laughs) now um but now i'm gonna get back to this um i played it a bit more um varied and a bit more diverse Mm. where i was still you know majority Paragon. I was still mm-hmm. hitting most of those check marks, but I was also dabbling in Renegade a little bit more. So I felt like I had a more balanced view of the game overall. And it mm-hmm. made me not necessarily want to do a full Renegade run because I got to enjoy the Renegade side of my Shepherd while still picking the choices that I wanted to pick. Like I'll never feel comfortable going through Mass Effect and putting Udina on the council, for instance, no. or getting or killing the Rachni or um, getting the council killed, for instance. That's, you know? that's the thing. Like if you're that's the thing. I don't think you should ever do a full Renegade run first time unless you do unless you do want to commit to that character. Because it's very much a character if you're going to be mm-hmm. like full evil choice all the time. You will be massive space racist you will be completely insensitive to everything you know someone will tell you their sob story and you'll just say well they deserve to die or whatever you'll just say like the worst stuff 
and um, which in 2007 like you know we were it was a different time media was in a different place like the whole post 90s faux grunge attitude stuff was still sort of dying off and like you could play mass effect as this like rogue like you know you could be an a-hole because that was in at the time it was the style at the time and i feel like it was fun i mean they've written a lot of dialogue that is really funny if you decide to be a, be a renegade um but it is noticeable now of just being like man i'm being horrific like if you fix <laughs> some of the negative choices um even at the very beginning like i said like even when um that dude the first guy that dies i forget his name the guy in the very beginning of eden prime oh god um, yeah the guy that has to die whatever that mm -hmm. dude's called um, even when he dies and Caden looks up and says, you know, oh, it's pretty horrific. That man's just dead. Um, you can just say soldiers die and just yeah. be like, we've got a mission. <laughs> so let's just crack on. And uh, I think that stuff sort of like stands out. Um, but I do love that, like, because that's another question as well is like, are you, it's always the thing where it's like making choices in games. It's like, do you pick the thing that would result in the outcome you want to see as a player, as an entertainment watcher, or do you pick the option that your character would do? Because I'm definitely picking, um, whatever I want to say to someone and I'm only being renegade when someone's being like a bit of a douche, like Udina speaks down to me. So I'm like, I cut him off or whatever. Yeah. Um, same in Mass Effect 2 when you get to actively cut people off in uh, conversations. Um, but that also means that it goes against some of the game stuff because there are trophies for getting over 75% Paragon or Renegade or like there are medals in game for getting like for favoring one or the other, which I always didn't like. I don't like that rewards are based on that stuff because you should be able yeah. to just say whatever you want. But how, yeah, how do you split it? Do you go down the Shepherd you've made or what you want to see oh difficult question you know it's kind of like it's just it's just kind of a mix a lot of the mm. time it is just stuff that i'd want to say if i was in that situation but at the same time i've got to stay true to the commander shepherd character that i've made because <laughs> i'm really attached to them and then other times there is that added wrinkle of what you said there where I want to kind of tailor the story to be the most juicy from an emotional or dramatic perspective. Right. For instance, when I got to the moment this time where I had to decide whether or not to leave Caden or Ashley, I was kind of inclined to leave Caden because I liked him more. And I thought, we've had oh, this God. bond. Caden, if he dies, that's a huge loss for my shepherd. That is something I'm going to feel if that's Ashley dies. I, well, this is the as thing, the character like, as well. As the character, but I'm sort of thinking as the scriptwriter of the future games, the architect of the future games. And I didn't ultimately go down this route, but I had to spend um, five minutes thinking about it because I thought, well, me and Ash as characters mm -hmm. don't get on that much. We're not like best mates. I thought maybe it's going to be interesting to watch how that dynamic evolves. If Caden dies, who was very close with, mm -hmm. and then I have to spend the rest of the games with Ash, who I'm kind of not really close with, but ultimately. You know, I sacked that off in the end because I was like, I can't kill the guy I've been flirting with for the whole game. Right. Um, and Ash ultimately died. But there is an element of having to stop in certain moments and consider everything you just said. One, how would I react? Two, how do I think the shepherd I've created will react? Mm. And three, what will make for a really interesting development in the plot? And maybe I am overthinking it. But you're talking to the guy who spent 45 minutes in the character customization screen on Mass Effect 2 last night tweaking my person's hair. Yeah, I don't know the people who don't spend that much time in that character creator. Oh, but I do. It's Benroy because he accidentally clicked on the wrong thing and he started the game without even customizing his shepherd at all. Not to call the man out. 
customization, Roy. But at uh, the start of Mass Effect 2, you'll get another chance. But yeah, for the most part, I think if you're playing this game, you're playing a, playing any RPG and you're like an RPG fan, you're going to spend time in the, in the character creator and you're going to think these things through, which is why I always end up at that forked road of what do I want to see? Oh, that thing sounds cool, but my dude wouldn't do that. Or it, it feels like I'm putting them in a the wrong place and then, I'm, and then I save and I'm stuck there and I hate that energy but i'm i'm talking wider like widely rpg stuff like that whole thing between picking the two always messes me up hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, but to get back to some other major story stuff, I think we well we both picked um, Save the Council, um, which I didn't yeah. do last time. Um, but this time um, I did do it because I was like, well, I want to make sure that humanity has a stake in the galaxy going forward, which I never thought of at all when I was a kid, uh, when I was a teenager, because um, I wasn't thinking on that level. Like I said, sociopolitical awareness, whatever. I wasn't, or I wasn't even thinking of galactic politics. I was just thinking, oh, the council will mean to me. Like, I'll screw the man. Like they told me <laughs> to do this thing and I'm rogue renegade shepherd. So whatever. Um, but that stuff, I mean, I think that they largely waste that at the start of Mass Effect 2. They have to write themselves out of that to prolong the yeah. conspiracies around the Reapers, but whatever. Um, point being, though, that in, in the moment in Mass Effect 1, where all the council are thanking you because this lowly human just saved them, and they're the three main council races, I loved that. Like, I was like, oh my god, that's pretty. And we haven't even talked about Saren yet, but yeah, what's, what's your thoughts on all the council stuff and the, those sorts of decisions? Yeah, it's 
it's it's a funny one because I remember when I played it the first time through, I did the exact same thing as you, and I was like, mm. just just let him die. I'm not sacrificing <laughs> his whole fleet for like three dudes. I hate no, my and boss. The, yeah, and the dicks to me. I'm not doing that. Yeah. And this time around, though, I was thinking along the same lines that you are, and I was thinking, well, Shepard, all the way through this game, she's tried her best to save as many people as possible, and she's never willingly let someone die, with mm. the exception of Ashley. But that's like an impossible thing, you know. She literally couldn't get to both. Mm-hmm. She didn't have the option to save Ash. Uh, whereas here, it's like the council are there. They could be saved if you throw some people in. People are going to die, mm-hmm. but there's also nothing to say that they wouldn't die anyway. You know, like the, the arms of the Citadel open up like a minute after the council are in jeopardy. So we're going to go through, we're going to face this Geth force regardless. So I might as well throw them in there. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a bit more nuanced, but ultimately, like you said before, more seeded previously in the game. You know, when you're talking to the council members, it's quite on the nose in hindsight, but they're bringing up like well if you're in a situation where it's the interests of humanity or a mm. human fleet versus an alien fleet yeah would you make the sacrifice would you send humanity in to save another species and the ending when you get to that council choice puts that to the test it's like right you, we're going to have some human casualties but are you willing to do that to unite the other species to save the other species and you know ultimately leave humanity's interests kind of perhaps on the back burner and be this kind mm. of symbol for the entire galaxy not just for humanity and i thought that was really cool mm-hmm. but like you say they do kind of waste that stuff in the second and third game I where think it's just that they kind of have to yeah yeah i yeah. mean it's going to be something that we talk about when we get into the second game but just the reality of making an rpg series like this that has so many decisions and taking all of those into consideration and doing them justice in future games because i remember mm. you know you mentioned at the beginning going into mass effect 2 you get all of these references to your past missions your past side missions you get emails from people in the first game mm-hmm. and playing the second i thought that's pretty cool but it's not really what they promised you know when i was younger i was thinking well they promised that everything will matter everything <laughs> will have a big impact so when i realized that only amounts to an email i was a bit annoyed this time around though mm. and i'm more aware of the realities of video game yes, development yes. and what's actually possible <clears throat> i'm like no that's that's still cool. It's still acknowledging what I'm doing. And anything more than that, anything more substantial would cost millions and millions of dollars and take like 10 years to make. So you can see the compromises, but you appreciate them more, I think. Oh man, the, I, yeah, I, I, I popped myself rotten realizing that all the galactic news reports were referencing random side missions that I, I couldn't believe they were, they had a little check mark in their backlog um, to be like, oh, make this part of the save file that goes across. Like that stuff was blowing my mind. And one of the only times that's been done, like you said, of like, sort of making a point of, you know, because they, they would have made 12 different video games at that point um, yeah. to factor all that stuff in. Like Witcher 2 did it, um, where you make a decision in Witcher 2 and it's two different games depending on which one you pick, but I can't think of anything else that uh, attempted that stuff. It's kind of weird because it reminds me of just that mid-2000s time where we were experimenting with like branching narratives. Like even GTA 4 was like, now we have choices and you can pick mm-hmm. what happens and like how much it comes back around again on the other side of it. Um, but I think for the most part, when you uh, uh, there's a whole thing that I think about the Mass Effect trilogy, playing The Legend edition now where i said to benroy and you like it feels retroactively so fresh because no one else is doing this um, and no one else has done this quite so well not even bioware have managed to do this again um to the point where this feels like this epic character driven you know narratively deep space opera that we've never seen like when was the last time you saw a new franchise land with this much confidence like a you know like a this the music the audio footprint that it has like the characters and the, like the world that it presents. I think I said this last week, but I'm just, I'm kind of retroactively in awe of just how much they did um, across these games, considering 
Mass Effect 1, it was their first third-person shooter, and they still managed yes. to make it. I mean, they've improved it, but it was still fine enough. Um, one of the things I was going to shout out is just the way, just just a cool moment, really, um, that, I, that I still, I was pretty much cheering at the screen. Like, the whole bit where you're, um, after Ilos, you take the uh, relay and you go through and you're storming the Citadel and you're running up the side of the Citadel Tower. Because um, just, bol- who even cares about gravity at that point? Let's just do this big, stupid thing. Um, and just throwing Geth left, right, and center. That all everyone's like super thrown because the gravity's less. Um, and then just get into the bit where the Normandy fires the missile, takes out Sovereign, and I was just like, this is the best feeling ever, to be honest. I'm <laughs> loving every single second of this because I've got weapons that I only have because I did all the side missions. I'm ranked up. I have all these top powers. Um, I'm hanging out with Liara and Garrus, um, which is my top two. Um, and that whole thing, it just came together so strongly in a way that I was like, young me is a moron for not playing 100% of this game before. Um, what were your thoughts on that final bit? And I also want to ask you about who your team is as well. Yeah, um, I like the final bit. I like the, uh, like you said, like the, the space walk up the Citadel. Like mm. it, was, it was a cool visual back in the day. And like you said, if you've done all the side missions, you know, you've got this top tier gear all your um biotics or whatever powers you have are completely mm-hmm. up- upgraded and you're just walking through like i was you know force pushing you know krogan like one shotting them <laughs> by just pushing them straight into the wall man like nice. just i felt like darth vader at the end of rogue <laughs> one or something just getting to saren getting to sovereign uh-huh. it's such a cool thing in my party um i i, I used more than i usually do because i was trying to get the trophies <laughs> oh, okay, you need, um, five um, missions with each character so i was varying it up a bit more but they, my solid team sorry, just, to, just to super quickly point out they all popped for me in the first like half hour of the game because it classes all the dialogue interactions on the citadel as missions yeah which yeah, is really yeah, weird yeah. So i got all them immediately the only the only one that dragged was getting um ai uh hacking from tally um because it was like like take her with me and like she was the only character that had ai hacking from what i could find but yeah yeah, I kind of wish I mixed it up in the Citadel Mall because, like you said, all of those assignments, which a lot of them are just fast traveling to a place and talking to someone, <laughs> like you just smash through the trophies. I think I got Tally's, Garrus's, and maybe even Ashley's, like on that first hour on the Citadel, right. and everything else was a bit more dragged out. But um, yeah, for me, it's Garrus and Tally. Like they're the two Ooh. I usually have in my squad. They were looking very fly towards the end of the game. <laughs> and I think I, for me, as a mix between a soldier and a biotic, I think it's a Vanguard in Mass Effect 1. Mm-hmm. I had a few biotic powers. I was using Garrus's and Tally's tech stuff, but they've got a bit of biotics too, especially Garrus. Um, so I was like, this is a good balance for me. I like it. This is mm-hmm. this is how I want to play. My thing, yeah, my thing is that I kind of got, I've, I've rotated over the years because I'm bringing in all this knowledge from Mass Effect 2 and 3. Of, like, I love Garrus. I love the the relationship that you can have with Garrus. He's just your best mate. And I love the yeah. fact that, I'm not to not to spoil what happens in Mass Effect 3, but I love the way, I love the way that that stuff goes. Um, and like the, the final sort of scenes and stuff with him um, are just brilliant. So I'm kind of like, I'm bringing that back in and going like, oh, I want to I wanna have that Garrus Shepard energy. But it's like, yeah. that's not fully in place in Mass Effect 1 because he's still this like ex-CSEC guy who's kind of having, he wants to just go off and butcher everybody and you kind of have to be like, hey, can you just, <laughs> hold on a second, like, let, let me come with you at least um, so we can hunt these people down and stuff. Um, but then it's only, I guess everything, everything goes way more banter in Mass Effect 2. Like even on the Citadel, like you've got those Krogan wanting to look for fish and there's all yeah. the news reports and you can be like i'm commander shepherd it's my favorite store on the citadel you can endorse seven stores at once like all that stuff comes in in two um what's your very quick thoughts on the different like 
gameplay feel of one to two because a lot of people I, I did like a little tweet last night i know it's a common like sort of talking point that mass effect one is the is the truer rpg of the trilogy um yeah. but like it which it kind of it, it is but like what's your thoughts on that split where like into like two onwards is it became a shooter and you're doing way more shooting you're doing proper cover shooting and everything else um and the powers are you can fire them off quicker and stuff what's your thoughts on differentiating one and two um there's not as much of a difference now than there used to be because i think the mm. combat in the one for the legendary edition is so much tighter and to be honest i got so used to the combat in one that when i went to two i was kind of like "Ooh, this is more impactful but it's also a little bit slower I i'm got not sure whether i buttons. like the weapons yeah the buttons were kind of different i was like this is going to take some getting used to mm. so i do like the way that they've tightened up one you know with the uh i like the idea of each gun just running out of steam essentially you know you you don't have magazines you don't have ammo mm -hmm. you just have to stop firing and that was very annoying back in the day but now they've made it really cool i like the reticles i like the feel of combat um, and you know there's way more depth to it in the second game mm. but there is something that just fits with mass effect one a little bit more mm. and i do like for me personally even though you know i'm going to preface a lot of what i'm going to say now in a future podcast with that for like 10 <laughs> years mass effect 2 was my favorite game of all time like my it's in my favorite top three, yeah. of anything it's only just been kicked out by fallout new vegas but i loved it mm. but even then i do have like a few not criticisms just observations mm -hmm. because when it comes to two like they do streamline the rpg elements so much in terms of gear in terms of systems because it's just focusing on the powers and on the shooting that you know going from one to two immediately i did miss the larger um leveling up system you know mm. in terms of what powers you can put points into i did miss not having all of the gear even though it's not perfect in number one i would have liked a bit more into and i just feel like you know, I I love Mass Effect 2. I keep saying it. It is so good. <laughs> you should play it. It's one of the best games of all time. It's one of the best RPGs of all time. Mm -hmm. But there's part of me that wonders if there was another game in there somewhere that just took what Mass Effect once started in its totality in terms of how it split action with RPG, in terms yeah. of how much exploration it had you doing, in terms of the concept of you being a Spectre and going around the galaxy mm. and refined them with the features that mass effect 2 brought in because mass effect 2 for as much as i love it it's a very very different game compared yeah. to one it, that's great but i kind of wish there was a mass effect 1.5 that kind of <laughs> split the difference a bit more it was weirdly, mass effect one souped up yeah weirdly i feel like that's what they tried to get back to in andromeda where it was just yeah. like initially like before they had to reduce the planets down before it all went on fire the idea was we're going to have you go across a bunch of different planets here's the mako again you can just go be this intergalactic force for good or evil or whatever um, I, I like I know exactly what you mean and I love the feel of Mass Effect 1. I love all that interplanetary stuff, all the galaxy map stuff. And it's all in there in 2, but you can't land on as anywhere near as many planets. Um, but I kind of love that they... I love that they narratively, they take you somewhere. Like, you know that things feel notably different in 2 compared to how sprawling and, like, sort of fantastical they feel in 1. And then by the time you get to 3, it's like all hell's broken loose and we just need to sort of deal with the finale and stuff. Um, but at the same time, like, it is that change that happened to mass effect as ea sort of stuck their tendrils in and it became more of a shooter and it became more of like the multiplayer mode and it became this whole thing that wasn't where it started and obviously they started shedding team members around then as well so it's like mm -hmm. something happened around about there all those conversations about what mass effect should be or could be um, i think it's fascinating going back to it i love it as a trilogy um and i think if you want to get lost in that open world space 
uh, feel you can do that in Mass Effect 1. Like I, I put 25 hours into just doing everything on Mass Effect 1. Um, I didn't find the, there was 9 out of 10 Asari artifacts and I didn't get the oh, last no. one. And I was like, I'm either going to get the platinum now or I'm going to leave. And I chose to leave. Well, I got the platinum because I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to just comb all these asteroid belts for <laughs> unknown things. Um, we should end on, uh, unless you have something else you want to drop in, we should end on Saren. Because um, I still think Saren is one of the best villains in video game history. Um, he didn't get anywhere near as much screen time as, as young me thought he did. Um, mm. I thought he was jumping you more often. I thought you were having more altercations with him. But he pops up in Vermeer. Um, and I love when he just pops up in Vermeer. Just flies in like Green Goblin on his little floating disc <laughs> Um, I remember because I played the Mass Effect, the original Mass Effect one with my wife a few months ago, and she couldn't believe he was there because he's so myth- he's mythologized. He's this dude we're just chasing, and all of a sudden he's right there. And I always love when any, any narrative has the confidence to do that. And weirdly, my mind went to Doc Ock turning up in Spider Man Two for that thought, mm. and so which is a nice time, you know. And so, but yeah, when when Saren turns up, I love that if you're playing Paragon or you're you've matched your you've put points into Charm and your Paragon is good, you can talk him down both times. Um, and you do still have to fight him on Vermeer, but I love that at the end of the the main game, when you have your final showdown against him, if you've maxed out your Paragon, you've done all these side missions and everything, you can talk him down, and he's and he thanks you for reminding him that he is indoctrinated, and then he shoots yeah. himself. And I was like, oh my god, I either completely forgot that, or I just never got it myself. But I was drop jaw like that. I was like, I actually found something new in this fourteen year old game because I. <laughs> Even when my wife played it, we just fought him because if he, if he shoots himself, you skip that whole boss battle. Um, he always comes back as the Reaper Saren. But like, yeah, I was just like, this is a whole other way to to do it. Um, and I knew that that thing was out there. I'd seen YouTube clips and stuff. But th- triggering it myself and knowing that it came from my investment across the whole story um, was something else and something that will stay with me in a way that the original playthrough clearly didn't. Totally. Like that was, um, yeah, something playing it back in the day for, you know, a couple of times through finally unlocking that that option to you know yeah. talk him down make him shoot himself make him thank you for you know seeing the error of his ways in a way is like so neat and it's cool and it's also like you said seeded on vermeer when you get to almost talk him down there if you mm. like you say if you put points at the paragon or renegade you get to charm him into thinking about his indoctrination i love it when he shows up at the end of the citadel towers and he's saying you know look you 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 really got to me i was starting to think starting to worry about whether i was indoctrinated mm. so sovereign implanted me with all this cool stuff and now i'm totally <laughs> not and it's like that's the opposite of what you were supposed to take away from that conversation mm-hmm. but fair enough i like that we at least you know had this heart to heart i assume that and... was sovereign going like i like dark vader style just or a sith lord just, i sense your doubt oh just yes. come have a lie down i've got uh, yeah. some tubes just put some tubes in you so that you start thinking things yeah exactly that and i thought that was a cool payoff to that little thread but yeah you know saren is such a momentous memorable villain because even though he only shows up really those three times you know mm. on eden prime on Vermeer at the citadel right at the very end you know the way he's talked about throughout whether it's by the council whether it's about by your team members like he's always the focus even when he's not there Mm -hmm. which does over time if you haven't played it in a while make you think that he's there all the time or like phoning you up on the normandy (laughs) and stuff but he's obviously not but he just casts a shadow over the whole game the same with sovereign actually Mm. you know you mentioned saren but for me it was realizing how little sovereign is in the game because obviously you get that one big conversation but Mm. for some reason in my head i was kind of like there must be a little bit more he must say something in the citadel or something but he doesn't but because that one conversation is so good and because the idea of sovereign is so awesome and everyone talks about him in like these hushed tones and these grand terms 
Um, it feels like he, again, he casts this shadow across the entire game in the same way that Saren does. Mm-hmm. And I think as villains, they're just they're just great for that. You know, it's, it's just, it makes the game so memorable and adds that extra element to it, especially when you get to actually interact with the villain mm. and in a sense, you know, make him see the error of his ways, even if it is too late for him. Well, there's the sovereign stuff as well. It's like you you don't really know why they're doing what they're doing. Like the, the VI on Ilus, the Prothean VI tells you everything other than when you ask, why are they doing this? And mm-hmm. the, it says something like, oh, this record is too damaged or we were unable to find that out or something like that. And they kind of like hide that. Obviously, that's for like Mass Effect 2 and 3. Um, but I love that Sovereign is this like unknowable, like crazy space Lovecraftian thing that is just sort of coming for you. And like, we don't know why. And they use the word harvest a lot. They're coming to harvest you. And it's like, <laughs> oh God, um, that's like this big thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I love the showdowns and stuff. Um, like I said, again, Saren, but like he is like, he is just sort of this like me, like militaristic Tyrion. He has a really good look to him. Um, I did notice, I don't know if I told you this, but I noticed um, people pointing out that apparently uh, maybe like back in the day, Saren was supposed to get increasingly more Geth-like over the story. Um, but they used the character model from near the, for the majority of the story right at the beginning. So even when he's on the hologram to the council, he's clearly very Geth-like, um, <laughs> but they don't say anything because they can't because um, he was meant to have more of like a human model or something back then um i never noticed that and now i can't not notice it but he does change his uh, model at the very very end um but yeah any other closing thoughts on the old mass effect one i thoroughly adore it five stars not a single thing wrong with it really uh, the slight slight awkward stuff in the combat i guess kind of yeah but i, I love mean, it like yeah, yeah. Like, I'm the same as you, you know, adore it. I was always a big fan of it, even when people kind of preferred the polish of 2 and 3. I Mm. loved what 1 is going for, and I think with this remaster, they've polished off those rough edges. It performs much better, the combat is much better, and even in kind of the way that you can tell it's an early effort from Bioware, Mm. trying to have these blockbuster production values in a proper RPG, like it doesn't detract much at all. You know, it still no. works. There is a few, there's a couple awkward scenes, maybe a couple awkward line readings, but it accomplishes far more than what those nitpicks can detract from the experience for me anyway. And it, yeah. you know, as an introduction to a world, I think it definitely holds up, you know, 14 years later. And I think if you're playing it for the first time, you'll still get the understanding of, why people have loved this for so oh, long, me. why people are still talking about this story, these characters, their shepherd, you know, like I, we, we need to do an entire podcast on just shepherd in general, because right. I've not felt a connection to this character than I have in any other RPG ever. When again, not going into Mass Effect 2 too much, but when mm. you see Shepard come back and change the look a little bit and she's talking to the team, and I'm like, this is my Shepard. I have so much <laughs> invested in you as a character in a person, and I cannot believe it. This has happened again. I play these games over and over and over, and yet I'm still here loving it as much as I did the first time around. So same. One one quick thing is have you spent much time in the codex? Like because I used to always just I used to sit and read I found websites that would print out text versions of the codex so i could sit with it and as have it as a fake coffee table book um because i think they've <laughs> finally released it as an official codex uh book but mm-hmm. i love the codex so much i love just reading up every last little thing i had like the league the salarian league of one the, the way the the way the weapons fire just like the, the fact that biotics um are like give people static electricity shocks by accident like stuff <laughs> like that is brilliant have you spent much time um sort of soaking in that wider optional stuff 
not an overwhelming amount just because mm. I, I honestly truthfully i don't necessarily like just stopping the game and reading the codex <laughs> that's something i used to do like the same as you on you know wikis and stuff after right. the fact so I've, I've dabbled in it but it's not a case of looking at every codex thing as it mm. comes up so i'm sure there's a there's plenty of juicy tidbits in there that I, even the i don't know guy. it's the it's the whatever you call the fellow who does the uh the little the voice for it it's just spot on just let him caress <laughs> audibly every single part of that world um but yes we'll um, we'll decide what we're going to do probably on monday morning next week um <clears throat> depending on how this week plays out but uh mass just just mass effect all things mass effect mass effect still brilliant mass effect one go play it go talk about it it's amazing for now i've been scott tilford joined by josh brown Goodbye, Mass Effect, Mass Effect, Mass Effect again, and enjoy it. <laughs> the masses of effects, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.